she was sleeping, so I couldn't use her as my object lesson. So I wanted, though, to, to bring her up here and, and show you something. Do you know in the Christian life, we're described as children, as babies. And see, this one here wants her mommy. You see that? She sees her mommy, so maybe we should come over here and try this. There's a lesson there, by the way. Do we want God like babies want their mommies? But um, we talked about standing in the true grace. Have you ever seen a little girl or a little boy learning to stand? Well, let's see if this works here. You're going to stand up for us? You're going to stand up? Yes, you see this? But she's not too sure about it, is she? You know, she's on a shore foundation, right? This isn't moving. It's shore. Just like the grace of God is true grace, it's shore. It's, it's true. But yet, she's still learning it, isn't she? She's not quite yet confident in her shore footing. She's, she's learning it. And I, I th yeah, I know she got something. That's the reason why she's able to stand. Are you going to smile at everybody? There, now you can smile at everybody. <laughs> but see, she's still figuring it out. And I, and I think that there's a lesson to us as, as Christians that, you know, just like we all clap when we see her standing, do we in the same way clap, rejoice, in the true sure standing when we find ourselves able to stand in the true grace of God. And I think that we need to be rejoicing and celebrating the same way in the true grace of God that we have. And I think we need to want God like this. Do we want God like that? I'm okay with competing with my wife. I have trouble, though, when I compete with my other children. That one's harder. Take your Bibles and turn with me this afternoon to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. As we're giving and doing an overview of the book of Ezekiel and touching on some of the highlights, um, there is a profound truth revealed to us in Ezekiel chapter 16, and it is extremely relevant. And how appropriate it is to, to preach on this passage in a month our world observes as Pride Month. This, this chapter is the theme chapter for Pride Month. Most would not agree with that, but it is true. Ezekiel chapter 16 is the key chapter when we consider the biblical perspective of Pride Month. And if you look here, the whole chapter is long and profound. In fact, there are times when I read the chapter and um, you, you may know me to know that my imagination wants to, to picture, to understand, to visualize what I read. And, and this chapter is graphic. And there are many a times in my life in reading this chapter where I just sit back and, and have to just compose myself. In some ways, due to the beauty of it, and you might say beauty, 
Well, if you look at how the beginning of this chapter begins, it's amazing. The Lord prophesying through Ezekiel. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. What are abominations? An abomination is something that is hated, something that is abhorred, something that we would be repulsed at. And God says to Ezekiel, son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And then throughout this chapter, God reveals through Ezekiel the story of Jerusalem, of Judah, his wife. And it's beautiful, while at the same time, your ears will tingle. And say, thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite and thy mother a Hittite. And as for thy nativity in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. He goes on to describe of how he provided for and cared for, longing for his people to live. He redeemed them from blood. The description there of the infant born and neglected and cast out is just, it's actually reminiscent of some horrors and abominations we have in our own land, isn't it? It's not God is not rejoicing in death, but he cries for life. And he parallels these people to say to them, live. He describes in through this chapter of how he basically married these people. He made them his own. And the way that he goes through and describes how he has gloriously decked Israel out as a beautiful adorned wife and glories in her. And it just goes on and on of the glory that God has for his people. And then it turns and talks about how his people treated him as an adulterous wife and went astray. And, and, and there's certain parts of the chapter where just, you just want to plug your ears and not hear a word of it. It's just... <laughs> the way that many of these people would be with Sodom and Gomorrah when they would hear that word and hear the abominations of that place. And as the chapter progresses... 
God, through Ezekiel, speaks of Israel as the harlot and describes them as the sister of Sodom. And as the chapter comes to this position, you know, the nation of Judah thought themselves holier than thou regarding the Samaritans up north. They thought themselves superior to the, to the nation, not the Samaritans, but to the nation of Israel, what was capital in Samaria. And in verse 49, God through Ezekiel writes, And thine elder sister is Samaria, she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. He's trying to wake the people up to say, you think the people of Israel were oh so bad. They're just like your older sister. And you like to look and point back in history of Sodom and Gomorrah and the residue of their evil. They're just like your sister too. For in verse 47, he says, Yet hast thou not walked after their ways, nor done after their abominations, but as if it were a very little thing. Thou wast corrupted more than they are in in thy ways. He says, you pride yourself in not being like them, and you're right, you're not like them. You're worse than them. In fact, their abominations are just little thing compared to yours. As I live, verse 48, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Referring to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah in those evil cities back in the days of Abraham as recorded in Genesis chapter 19. Our ears tingle to read of the horrors in that book. What's disturbing, actually, about it is that the little is described of the abominations in Sodom. What we actually tingle is what we see within Abram's nephew Lot and his family, recorded in detail. But what was all of this about? What does it source back to? Well, here, look at this. Verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, What's the first one? Say it. Pride. Now, do you know why I say this ought to be a theme chapter for Pride Month? A society today glories in shame, boasts in abomination, that which is hateful and repulsive to God. Pride, fullness of bread. You might think why there's nothing wrong with having a full belly, is there? It's not real clear whether or not this is gluttony or just having sufficient food. Gluttony is clearly a sin, right? Here, there was prosperity in the fullness of bread. Not necessarily gluttony. 
and the abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Here a society where you're not having to work from sun up to sundown just to feed yourself and your children. There's an abundance of bread which has resulted in an abundance of idleness. There's nothing wrong with having peace. There's nothing wrong with having extra time, discretionary time. But idleness is a problem. Idleness is a problem. You see here we've got a mixture of pride, fullness of bread, and idleness. Those three combined are a problem. You would think that if those three were combined, it would be a good thing. Well, if you took out pride. Abundance of bread and abundance of time, if I could substitute the word, give me, bear with me for a moment. It would be a good thing, right? We all want that, right? Well, it's, it's not a bad thing, but what are we doing with it? Here we had a society in Sodom that had the pride and the fullness of bread and the abundance of idleness, and it says, neither did they strengthen the hand of the poor or needy. Here was a time in which a society was at peace and in abundance and in prosperity, and they had time, but did they use their time to strengthen the hand of those who didn't have abundance of bread? The poor and needy, did they strengthen their hand? But you can't miss verse 50. Don't forget the and. Because the three, looking into the and, they were haughty. Which is taking what was the pride on the inside and bringing it to the outside. And committed abomination before me, says God. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Take your Bibles and turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. As I've shared before, Deuteronomy is kind of the last sermons of Moses put together before he died. The last day, I think day, but not much longer than week of his life. The sermons of Deuteronomy were preached to the people in the plains of Moab just before Moses died, and then the people crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And I'd like to read this chapter because this chapter warns the nation of Israel. So what we're reading about in Ezekiel chapter 16 is dealing with this time in history, 580s B.C., and what we're doing now is we're jumping way back to the 1400s B.C. in Deuteronomy, just after the nation has been made a nation, just about as they're entering into their promised land. And so we've seen the end. Now look at the beginning. And for a moment, watch as we, I read, watch for the concepts regarding the sin of Sodom, what there was in them, pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, failing to strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and were haughty and committed abominations. See if you can identify some of that in this chapter. Deuteronomy 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply 
and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore, therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, in land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Do you see here? God's saying, I have humbled you, and now you're going to go into a land where there's going to be fullness of bread. There won't be a scarcity of it. The economy is going to boom. You're going to find iron and brass in abundance. Booming economy, success, prosperity. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. You know, brothers and sisters, that's the exact opposite of pride. Praise, worship to the one who owns all and is the one who provides all is worship. Bless the Lord. Bless him. That's the opposite of pride. In fact, it's the greatest antidote to pride. When you get a proper perspective of who God is, the real and only high and lifted up one, Boy, we get real small down here, don't we? Bless him. Worship him. Look at verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I have commanded thee this day. Beware that thou not forget to keep the commandments of God. Verse 12, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart mm, be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, 
who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, wherein there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And when thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware with thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. There's not much I can add to this. Moses' sermon here to those people this day is on point. We're not the nation of Israel, but do you see parallels? We don't have the same as a nation covenant with God, the significance of this all. But the spiritual principles and applications are vividly parallel. Vividly parallel. This was at the beginning. Do you see what's warned there in the end? Ezekiel chapter 16 is recording the end. It's the bookend. The one is prophecy, the one is warning, and now you see what was given as warning, and then we come to the end and you see why there's such judgment. Back in Ezekiel, it speaks of them who were haughty and committed abomination before me. What are the abominations? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. I'll just give you a heads up. Sometimes if I ever refer to this chapter in preaching and you hear me say Leviticus 16, for some reason, it's crossed in my brain. I have it ingrained in my brain that the chapter I'm looking for is actually number 16, but it is 16, but it's actually chapter 18. But I've always been amazed when I'm talking with someone and I say, well, let's turn to Leviticus 16 and we'll see some of the abominations listed. And so we turn to Leviticus 16, and you know what chapter 16 is? If you turn a few pages back there and peek, it's the instructions for the day of atonement which is really actually quite interesting in contrast or rather as an introduction to chapter 18 because chapter 18 is dealing with all of these horrific abominations where 16 is dealing with the day of atonement in which the people the nation of israel would take a day 
to not celebrate, but to fast and to weep and to confess their sin as a nation and as a people. And as you can tell by looking at Ezekiel, they didn't do it as they ought to have. It was a day to actually humble themselves. Leviticus chapter 18. I'm be candid with you. I'm not comfortable preaching this chapter in this room with the company that's here. This is an awkward chapter. This is a difficult chapter. But I firmly believe that it is a very important chapter in our Bibles for it clearly defines some of the abominations some of the things that God utterly hates. And I'll admit it's a hard chapter to teach and to deal with with your children. I suggest you start by just reading it and letting it be read without commentary and then address the questions as the questions come and in the maturity of the children as they grow. I'd like to point out a few things, though, in this. If you notice how the chapter begins in 18, verse 2, the command is given, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. Let me make one thing clear for all of us. Whenever we are dealing with abominations, it's not about what you think or about what I think or about what the person on the TV thinks or your next-day neighbor or whoever thinks. What matters is who is the Lord God and what does he think. The command is given, verse 3, after the doings of the land of Egypt wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. And again, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. The entire topic of issues of perversions and abominations within our society is so much real because we have lost who the Lord is. And that's where we've got to start. And notice here at the beginning of this chapter, this chapter here is not to go on and give a great big, big judge, 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 evil, evil, you bad, bad, bad person. No, the whole point of this chapter is so that you live. That's what he says. He's giving this all. The whole introduction to this is that ye shall live. Live. I'll tell you, if you look through these when science is true science, not falsely so-called, but true science goes through and looks at some of the abominations here in this chapter, all of them lead to death. And God makes it clear as it continues on further down where if we were to skip through some of these here and go to verse 24, 
we read, defile not yourselves in any of these. For in all these, the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore, I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And speaking of the question of life, look what this next phrase is. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Can't get more picture graphic than that, can you? These abominations cause the land itself to vomit out her inhabitants. Verse 26, she shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. And whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the soul that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall ye keep my ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Do you see how it began? And do you see how it ended? It's about what God says. Now, the law is laid down here specifically, and this is the Mosaic law. This was a law that was established specifically for the nation of Israel. And we need to discern that and be aware of that and acknowledge that. We do not live in a theocracy in the same way that Israel was a theocracy. But just as importantly as I make that distinction, I also acknowledge that God also said that his law was good and glorious and holy meaning that you can draw a lot of good things from this law. This law is not strictly applicable directly in modern culture and society. But let me give you yet another caution, lest you also take this and say, well, that's Old Testament. You're right, it is Old Testament. And in this case, it was specifically Mosaic law applying specifically to the nation of Israel, but it has revealed to us spiritual truth and what God's perspective is that transcends dispensations and transcends history. Notice also this is not just about God. This is about the land. And as I mentioned, the abominations described in this chapter are also ones that, again, science, truly called science, acknowledges leads to death. And lest you also think that some of the abominations listed here are, are something that, again, was just for Israel. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 actually brilliantly, in this dispensation and in this age of history that we live in right now, the church age, this was written. And it's intriguing because both Deuteronomy chapter 8 as well as Leviticus 18 are both taught in Romans chapter 1 in this time. Yes, there's a lot more detail and specifics given in Deuteronomy, but we see it crystal clear also taught in the New Testament here in Romans chapter 1. Again, it comes right after, well, just, just to give you an introduction here, it's very hard for me to jump just into any part of Romans because all of Romans is one great big treatise. And especially in this section, Romans 1 through 3 is all kind of together. 
But I'd like you to look again at how this also begins with the gospel. For look at verse 16, Romans 1:16, Paul writing under the inspiration of God, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, that is the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is introduced right off here, and Paul is not ashamed of it. He's not, there's a distinction between not ashamed and pride. This here is an actual true humility, acknowledging the need of the gospel. Verse 17, for therein, that is in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by, what's it say? Faith. Now think about what we just talked about. Life. God said to his people, live. Live. It's about life, living. And here now we see too, it's no different than in the Old Testament. Salvation is always, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, has always been by faith, believing in the revealed promises of God. The just shall live by faith. But don't forget beginning verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There's a whole sermon in every phrase of that verse. But we don't have time for it this afternoon. But look how it continues on, verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Remember about when you have the prosperity, bless God? See the parallel? Here, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible be man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to, an un, to uncleanness through the lusts of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen? For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, man, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and revealing in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient 
being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Here we see a summary of what's given in more detail and specifics back in Leviticus chapter 18. I've skipped so much in Leviticus chapter 18, not because it's not important, actually, because it's actually quite and very important, but it's something you need to teach your children in the time and way that they are ready to receive. And I beg you, do not neglect it. I've had the unpleasant responsibility of sharing some in this passage with people after the great evil has been done. And oh, oh, how my heart breaks when adults stay with me. That's in the Bible. I had no idea that was in the Bible. So clear. It breaks my heart that it was not clearer to them to understand and know before evil. So mark it. Don't neglect it. It's going to be some hard talks. And the appropriateness of your children, please deal with it. I'd like to come back to Romans and then on back to Ezekiel 16 where we began. Do you notice that little word here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 30? Proud. You notice over in verse 31 that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Do you know what that is? The result of pride. In fact, if you were to look at all of these abominations and uncleanness, I think they can all trace back to pride. We need to humble ourselves. especially in this month when we are bombarded with turning the truth into a lie, when evil is called good, when abominations and shame are gloried in. Let's be careful how we respond. Yes, we need to respond in truth, understanding and knowing that what is happening is just as I've just said it, identifying them as abominations as they are. Yes, indeed, we are sickened. But let's humble ourselves. These sins, these terrible things, don't just happen in a day and in a night. There is a nasty pride 
that is sown in the heart of man, that as it is germinating, as it is sprouting, as it is growing, as it is taking root and flourishes, it will flourish and bring forth fruits of abomination. So I beg you, as I myself take heed, pride is an ugly thing. You deal with those who have been victims of such abomination, and as they start to realize it, you'll see that there is a reaction to pride, rightly so. Because pride is the, the, the issue. That's that little thing that seeps and goes. So that when there is the prosperity, when there is the discretionary time, what are we doing with it? Our culture and our society may not participate in the abominations directly. But if you look at the last verse of Romans chapter 1, how true could it be said, and I shudder to say this even of Christians, that they have pleasure in them that do them. And you say, huh? Yeah. How many Christians would be entertained or amused through their screen that is depicting these abominations? It's one of the reasons I'm convinced that so many Christians in our modern society and era, we have lost our seasoning. You know, Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth but we seem to have lost our seasoning, our saltness. And I think one of the reasons is because we're a bunch of hypocrites. For we call out sin and evil and wickedness, and then yet we allow ourselves to be amused or entertained by the very things that are said to be abominations. We must not. I don't know what you watch or what your listening things are. I think sometimes, I won't go there. Beware. And let us beware of the pride. We naturally live in a society of abundance of bread. And that's not unfortunate. That's because the great God has bestowed it upon us. Resulting in the fact that we have abundance of discretionary time. And do we use that abundance of discretionary time to do the things that we ought to do with it? Or do we let it be idleness to consume it upon our lusts, which may just be one step from the abominations? Let us humble ourselves. Let us humble ourselves. And let us glorify our God as God. Again, remember Deuteronomy. Remember Le Deuteronomy 8, Leviticus 18. What's the whole point of it all? How did it begin and how did it end? God says, I, I am the Lord God. I am the Lord God. And so as we think and have this question of pride, I'm reluctant to tell you to look inward because you'll probably not do well. I know I won't. So look at the one who is holy. 
Look to the one who is good. Look to the one who is perfect. And if there's something that needs to be exposed in you, he'll do that. So focus on him. Look to him. Humble yourself before him. When we think of all that the abominations and the evils surrounding what is known in our society of Pride Month, there are some difficulties in connection to certain things. There are some birth defects. There are some physical curses because of sin. Again, there are things that are very they're impossible to deal with in a crowd such as this. But you may have legitimate questions of different things relating to these things. And it's one of those that's difficult maybe to find the answers to. I'm grateful for a little book here by Answers in Genesis that deals with those in a discreet and appropriate way, dealing with social issues. It deals with the issues that we're dealing with here of morality in a full sense. And they've also done of an exceptional job of discreetly dealing with some of those, you know, I don't even want to go into some of the terms and details, but there's, there are as a result of the curse of sin in our world, physical defects and other things like that that cause people to hiccup on certain issues relating to sexuality. And this little booklet here does deal, deal with some of those and answering some of those questions in a very appropriate way, as well as um, a lot of different social issues in general. So this is back as a part of um, our church library, and I would recommend that to you as a resource for further. But just in this moment coming back to what's here. Can we go back to Deuteronomy 8? Take your Bibles, turn back there to Deuteronomy 8. This indeed was given to Israel, but I believe the application to the church is perfectly appropriate. Deuteronomy Eight, in verse 10. When thou hast eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou not forget, or beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Let not our hearts be lifted up and forget the Lord. Lord God, Lord Jesus, dear Holy Spirit, we bow to you this afternoon. You are great. You are almighty. You are holy. And you have called us as your children, your church, your bride, to be holy as you are holy. Father, as we see abominations in the society around us, we turn our eyes, or we should turn our eyes, in shuddering horror. May it not be in self-righteous pride, but in humility acknowledging but that it were for your grace, your justification, what would we be? May we also humble ourselves 
and bless you. Dear Holy Spirit, you know precisely where the seeds of pride have been planted in our hearts, in our emotions, in our temperaments, in whatever we want to call it. You know exactly how it's germinated. You know exactly how it's growing. You know exactly how it is masked. Rip it up. Pull it forth from our hearts and our lives that it not crowd out righteousness, truth, justice, mercy, and goodness. Pull up, dear spirit, that root of pride. Cast it out of our lives. And may we bow before you and beseech you to do so. Father, I look to our society, our people, our nation. Humble us. In some senses, I'm afraid to pray that, lest it be inconvenient. But you have said that it'd be better that we lose things, such as our eyes or our hands, for our good and salvation. May that be true for our society. Humble us. Humble us. Chastise us. Teach us that we might truly, truly know you. Be humble before you and, and know, show forth your truth. May we avoid the comparing among ourselves not justifying sin, but calling all sin, sin, of in all cases, bowing to you and to the authority that you have. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here this afternoon who has not been redeemed the ones whom you've cried to live, live, but have not responded in faith, may they trust you today. Lord, I pray for the Christian who has wandered into the slippery slopes, that today they would stand firm in the true grace, not in their good works or self-righteousness, but in the grace, your grace, that you've given to each one who trusts in you. Forgive us for sin. Forgive us for our pride. May we be humble to admit our sin and to receive your grace at your throne of mercy. You are God. You are good. You are the judge of the whole world, and we rest in you and praise your holy name. As we give ourselves to you now, fill us with your spirit and use us for your glory, honor, and praise. And we pray all this 
In Jesus' name, amen.